I have a feeling, uh, well, I don't have a feeling, well, I do have feelings, um, but I know this, that we will uh, be hearing plenty more of songs like that uh, here over the next cor- course of the next few weeks, and so thank you guys for doing that. Appreciate that an awful lot. So we've called our Advent series, <laughs> okay, let's start again. I am struggling with my uh, language. This uh, came out wrong, too. I'm just going to start, okay? So here we go. Uh, we, we have entitled our Advent series, The Spirit of Christmas. And oftentimes when you hear about having the spirit of Christmas, ideas come to mind as far as having the right mindset and being prepared properly and, and encountering hope and joy and, and things like that and, and not missing out on what's going on. And that's where our focus is. It's focused in on, on our spirit, But as I was thinking about this series, I wanted us to realize that when we talk about the spirit of Christmas, we need to talk about the most overlooked, the one who's overlooked in the Trinity far more than than the other two, and that's the Holy Spirit. And in Luke's Gospel, he introduces us to the Holy Spirit almost immediately. It's fascinating. Now granted, Luke is simply the first volume of his two-volume set, Luke, and then followed by Acts, and so he's setting the stage for the work of the Holy Spirit in, in the first church in, in, the, in the book of Acts. But, but as he sets the stage, he, you would think that maybe he would wait and wait and wait, but Luke almost immediately addresses and opens up our eyes, opens our eyes to the reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who is moving in the midst of the lives of Zechariah and Mary and Elizabeth and Simeon. The Holy Spirit, he's the one that, that is giving them the words to say. He's the one that's, that's moving in their midst. And we get to see that every step of the way here. Over the course of the next few weeks, as we look at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, we will see the different encounters that the Holy Spirit has with people as they anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, as Marika already talked to us about, the hope that the the word that we're talking about or the concept that we're talking about today is, is the whole idea of hope. And hope from a biblical standpoint is not an uncertain thing. For example, some of you are sitting there and you're, you're thinking, I hope for lunch today we go to this place or that place. And when we say that, what we're saying is, we believe that there is still some uncertainty here. We're not quite sure if we're going to be able to go to wherever you're going. So you say, I hope. But from a biblical standpoint, hope is is as certain as the sun coming up in the east and its setting in the west. When the Bible talks about hope, it isn't some little, well, I hope this happens. It is a reality. It's a reality that people can get behind. It's a reality that people would understand. It's a reality that they say it is so real, you can see it, you can bank on it. Think about the times that you say, I hope I get to do this, or I hope I get to do that. More often than not, it's met with, it's, it's, it's combined with a certain amount of uncertainty. When we had our two children, we hoped that everything would go smoothly, but we knew this, that there was a chance that they wouldn't, that things wouldn't go smoothly. But when we're talking about biblical hope, we're talking about a reality that is 100% true. It's a woman by the name of Mary, and she was a doctor at a, at a local hospital, and 
and she had great hopes for her for her child. She had they she and her husband had had a daughter, and and what a vivacious, incredible little girl they had. She was in kindergarten, and and so as Mary got in the car, she she threw in her lab coat or her doctor's coat, whatever you want to call that, in the stethoscope, and it landed on the seat next to their daughter. And uh, the school that she needed to take her daughter to was just a few blocks away from the hospital where she worked. And so, so on the way there, they needed to stop and get gas. And as, she, as Mary got out of the car to pump the gas, she looked in the back seat and, and her daughter had reached over and grabbed the stethoscope. And as Mary left the car, she was filled with all these ideas and hopes and dreams for her daughter as she saw her daughter put on the stethoscope and begin to speak into it. And as Mary pumped the gas, her her excitement continued to build as she looked in and and saw her daughter speaking into the stethoscope and, and giving advice and things like that. And she was so excited. She's thinking, all my hopes, all my dreams for my little girl are about to be realized as she tells me that she wants to be a doctor later on in life and follow in my footsteps. She could not pump the gas fast enough. She was thrilled. She finishes pumping the gas and she hurriedly puts the gas cap back on and gets, gets back into the car, buckles up, and, and her daughter all of a sudden becomes very quiet. And Mary looks at her daughter and says, says well, what were you doing? I, I saw you with the stethoscope. Why don't you, why don't you share with me what, what you were talking about within, in the, into the stethoscope? And there was this pause, and Mary got all excited. A big smile on her face builds as she says, the hopes of my daughter becoming a doctor are about to be heard. And then we can talk about how difficult it is, but how rewarding it is. And so Mary said, what were you saying into the stethoscope? Her daughter gets a big smile on her face and says, hello, and welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? We have these high hopes. We have these high hopes and and people get excited. and, And just as Mary got excited, it was met with cold, harsh reality. And as we look at this story, and it's more than just a story, as we look at this event in Luke chapter 1, we run into, we're introduced to this person named Mary that many of us have heard many stories about. Mary representing a people that were desperate for hope. Not some uncertainty, but the real hope of a Messiah coming to rescue them. Listen to these words, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Father, we pray now as we come to this time of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would understand, or open our ears that we would hear, and open our minds that we would understand, and open our hearts that we would be transformed to understanding the value, the reality of placing our hope in you, the one true God. So do your work, and Lord, may no one hear anything that I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And in all of this, Lord Jesus, may you receive glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so we have Mary, and as we take a look at these verses in Luke chapter 1, we have this situation where hope interrupts her life. Hope interrupts her life. And one of the things that we need to keep in mind is this, is that as we come to this place of talking about Jesus Christ, God's people were wanting, wanting, wanting for God to make, to make do, to make real on his promise that he had promised a long time ago. As a matter of fact, the Lord had not spoken to the people for 400 years. That blank piece of paper that's, that's between the book of the last page of Malachi and the first page of Matthew, that blank piece of paper represents 400 years of silence. 400 years of God's people wanting God to speak, wanting God to do something. He had made all these prophecies, he had made all these promises, and yet nothing had happened. And so we come to this place where Luke shares with us, In verse 26, he says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. They have this routine. The routine is, is, is what it's all about for them. They understood what they needed to do every single day. And we go into these routines, and so often it's real easy for us to get wrapped up in the routine, and we forget that our routine can be interrupted by hope. And when hope interrupts, it changes everything. The routine that the people had experienced to this point was this, was that Nazareth, and we're introduced to Nazareth right here in verse 26, Nazareth, the routine reputation of Nazareth was this, that it was known as an insignificant, despised, and unclean city. A lot like Modesto. 
Just joking. Don't shoot me. I was given that line from someone else. So actually, my experience in Modesto was not good a few weeks ago. I shared that with you, that, that people scoffed at me being from Salinas. And I, and I wanted to respond and say, you're from Modesto. Let's be careful here. Nazareth was an unclean, un, I wouldn't say unwelcome, but it was insignificant. The population of Nazareth at this time was about 500 people. You blink and you miss it. And so this routine reputation is there. This routine reputation of an insignificant town is interrupted by hope. It's interrupted and Nazareth will no longer be considered just a two-bit town in the middle of nowhere. There's a routine process that goes on. We're told this, that that, uh, when the angel shows up, he shows up to, and he talks to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The routine process in marriage was this. It was a two-step process back in those days when a person was said to be pledged to be married. It's different than our engagement thing. It's comparable to that, but it's different in a couple of ways. Number one, it is a binding legal agreement between two families. Two families agree that their daughter and their son will become a couple, and they go into this time of being pledged to be married. And it is as if they are married. And here's the other part. The girl will then live with her family for approximately one more year. And then at the end of that year, she will then move to her, fa- to her husband's father's house and be wed there. That was the routine process that's going on. And then there was a routine expectation. There was a routine expectation that a young girl between the ages of 12 and 14 would be pledged to be married. Imagine that now. Some of you have grandchildren that are 12, 13, 14 years old. Perhaps you're here today and you have a daughter who's 12, 13, 14 years old. Imagine that all of a sudden she comes home one day and says, Hey, uh, I had a weird experience happen today at school. An angel talked to me and I'm going to carry God in my belly. Imagine that. 12, 13, 14 years of age, that was the, was the anticipation of, of your daughter telling you or, or the arrangement being set up in such a way that they were going to be married. And so there's all these routine things happening at this time, yet hope arrives. And when hope arrives, it interrupts everything that's going on. Right now, for many of us in this room, perhaps there's a routine going on in our lives and we're simply going through the motions. My hope, my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that we will allow hope to interrupt our routine. That we would no longer look at people as, well, I'll see them tomorrow, but that we would look at people and say, Lord, how can I bring hope into this situation? You see, hope is something that that people desperately need. And Mary's Mary's life was interrupted by this hope. Everything changed for her that moment Gabriel begins speaking to her. 
And notice the first words in verse 28. He says this, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You who are highly favored. How, how is that possible? She's 12, 13, 14 years old. She's young. And in that day, in Jesus' culture, young people, they were more of a nuisance than anything else. And then on top of that, she's a girl. And yet, Gabriel, you're going to show up and say, you're highly favored? Did you not get the memo? I'm a girl in a male-dominated, elder-respected society, and you're telling me that I'm highly favored? Society can say whatever it wants about you, but it doesn't compare to what God has to say about you. Society can label you this, it can label you that, but when hope interrupts, it changes everything. And some of you here this morning need to know that. You've allowed yourself to be labeled, and God is saying, I'm here, and when I show up, I bring hope. It's that hope that can change lives. We move on to verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Can you blame her? What would your life be like if an angel showed up one day? Troubling. Troubling. It would cause great concern. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? When hope interrupts our lives, when God interrupts our lives, it inevitably leads to this. Hope causes questions to arise in our lives. Her routine is about to be completely obliterated. Her routine is about to be completely up, uh, uh, thrown into turmoil. When hope arrives, there will be questions. We like to think that everything will go just smoothly when hope arrives, but it means that things have to change. It means that change is coming. Look at this. First off, we're told this, you who are highly favored, you have found favor with God. How does that happen? How does hope bring favor? How does that work? It works because God is the one who gives favor. And then we have this encounter where she says this in verse 34, how will this be? You almost want her to stop there. And I, a number of years ago, Heidi won't remember this, but Heidi was maybe five, six years old. We were driving, and it was during this time of the year. And Heidi asked me some question about Christmas and to explain Christmas. And so I began to explain to her that there was this teenage girl 
who was overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden became pregnant. And I paused for a moment and I looked at Heidi and she had this look of bewilderment on on her face. She's going, what happened? How did that happen? And I paused and I said, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? And she said, not at all. So we read this And she says, it says the Holy Spirit will come on you, and we're going to come back in just a few moments to that. But the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. She's trying to figure out how hope is going to get involved in this, and how how this is going to change her life. She doesn't fully understand that. And all parents have great hope for their kids, but look at verse 32. And think about the hopes that you have for your children or for your friend's children and all the high hopes that you have for them and compare it to this list that the angel gives to Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You may have high hopes for your children. But those high hopes pale in comparison to what Mary just found out about her own child. That her child will reign over Jacob's descendants and they will have a kingdom that will never end end that would cause questions how is this going to happen when is this going to happen how is this to to be i don't understand this and what happens is mary asks that question and when we have questions in regards to hope and we're wondering how god is going to navigate us through this he responds The angel answered her in verse 35. The angel answered that the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was unable, she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Hope interrupts. Hope causes questions. And the biggest thing is this. Hope lives. Hope never dies. Mary finds out after she asks this question, she finds out that God is already at work. The Lord is already at work. Elizabeth, her cousin, who's a very old lady, and we're going to talk about Zechariah and, and Elizabeth next week, but she's a very old lady who's well beyond childbearing years. And all of a sudden, Mary finds out, what's going on here? Something bigger is going on. And in the midst of us losing hope in life, we need to be reminded that God is on the move, especially in this world today. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be frustrated. It's easy to think that this is that there's nothing good going on. But God is at work. Hope lives. And because hope lives, nothing stays the same. How has God changed your life? How has the Lord of living hope 
changed your life. Because Mary's life gets changed here. She's no longer a 12, 13, 14-year-old that, that just goes from day to day. She's now being used of God to bring about the great hope, Jesus Christ. Verse 37. And how do we know that hope lives? For no word from God will ever fail. Some of you have been praying for different people for years and years and years in your life. Praying that God will get hold of their lives. I'm here to tell you that God's word never fails. I spent 20 some years praying for my dad. My dad is a, a tough guy. He's not as tough anymore. He's a tough guy. He and I were never really all that close. I came to know Christ when I was in high school and I immediately began praying for my dad to come to know Jesus Christ. Went away to college, went into the ministry, continued praying for my dad. And there were times when I was losing hope. But in those midst of being tempted to lose hope, I remembered that God is not going to let me down. That he's going to keep working. For no word from God will ever fail. And one time I called home and my mom said, you won't believe what happened this week. Your dad went to church again. And he came to know Jesus. Hope lives. The word of God will never fail. And for Mary, she needed that reminder. And for all of us, we need that reminder. And the bigger reminder, that, and another reminder that we also need, and I call it the 128 hope factor. Look back in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And notice the last verse, and this is what I call the hope factor. The Lord is with you. It's that reality that God gives us hope. It's into that reality where we can take on whatever comes our way because he is with us. And hope lives in God's people because God himself lives in his people. He's at work now. He's working in your life whether you realize it or not. In 2007, a guy by the name of Larry Hanratty was named by the Los Angeles Times the most unlucky man in California. This poor man was working at his construction site and was almost electrocuted to death on accident. For weeks, he was in a coma with his lawyers fighting for his liability claim until one of his lawyers was disbarred, two of them died suddenly, and his last lawyer ran off with Larry's wife. After he recovered in June, he was in a terrible car accident, and before the police arrived on the scene, a person robbed him of the $55 that he was carrying. On July 4th, his insurance company tried to stop his workman's comp claim, and he came within two days of being evicted from his house. By the end of July of 2000, 2007, he 
was suffering from lupus and the start of a lung condition that required him to carry a canister of oxygen with him, and he was taking 42 pills a day for his heart condition and his liver ailments. This guy had it rough. Finally, the city council of Whittier came to his aid and his friends rallied around him. And after all that had happened to Larry that year, he said to the mayor of Whittier, California, there is always hope. This is from this guy. He was stricken with that heart ailment and that lung, uh, that, that liver Uh, that liver condition. But here's what never died in Larry. His hope. Larry was was an elder in his church and he was constantly helping people in their time of need. Everywhere he went in town, he was known not as Larry, but as hope because he told everyone that he met, there's always hope. Larry died on December 25th of that year. At his funeral, there was not enough room in his life for those who wanted to pay respect for his life. And the pastor of that church said this, it was estimated by his church and by his pastor that Larry in his last year of life visited over a hundred needy families and gave more hope to those who were shut in and he volunteered at his local hospice every single week. And on his gravestone in Whittier, California, it says this, here lies Larry Hanratty. And then below it, it says, there's always hope. Folks, there's always hope. There's always hope because of Jesus Christ. The Virgin Mary found that out, that there's always hope when you're interrupted. There's always hope in the midst of your questions. There's always hope when you wonder if you can make it. And in this world in which we live, we need that hope. I want to ask you a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. What is 750,000 miles long? It could wrap itself around the earth 30 times and it grows an additional 20 miles longer with each passing day. Here's your answer. It's the line of people on this earth who have no hope because they don't know Jesus Christ. Folks, the opportunities are before us to share the hope of Jesus Christ with people that we meet who desperately need to know that hope. It's my prayer over the course of these next few weeks that we'd be reminded of this incredible hope that we have in Jesus Christ and that we would then share that hope with the people that come into our path. Father, we pray. As we reflect on these words, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us that you would open our eyes so that we can see this world as you see it and that we would then respond in such a way as to be hope-giving people because of you, Lord Jesus, because you are the living hope. Lord, many of our lives need to be interrupted by hope because we're struggling. And we pray, Lord, that we would no longer live in that struggle but by ourselves, but that we would go through that struggle with a great hope because your word never fails and because you are with us. May we claim that all the more 
And may we be hope-filled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we take communion this morning, every month we do this on the first Sunday of the month, and there's a few things that I think I need to remind us of. Because oftentimes we can come to this time where we think that it's simply a cracker and a, and a thing of, of juice and just go through it mindlessly. But as you read God's Word, as you read the Gospels, and as you read the Epistles, you realize that what we're celebrating is a remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us. And so when we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're acknowledging that we have relationship with Christ, that he's the one that we're remembering, that he's the one who rescued us. And so when the elements come by, those of us that have placed our trust in Christ, it's a time for us to remember what he's done for us, and we could take this with great thanksgiving. And I know this to be true that not everybody in this room is a believer, is a Christ follower. And so may this time be a time where you can begin, not begin, but continue to understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. That this bread represents a body that was broken and these cups hold grape juice that, that symbolize blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And we take these elements not as some, some just, it's something that we do, just a mindless activity. But we take these elements, remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. So if you don't know Christ, we invite you this morning to know him, to experience him, and to reflect on that. And if you do know Christ, we invite you to take the elements and be reminded once again of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. So in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and then he poured wine into a cup. And he said that this bread represents my body that will soon be broken. And this juice represents my blood that will soon be shed. And so as the elements come by, we remind you to remember this. To remember those two key points. That these symbolize his body and his blood. It was broken and it was shed for us.